Welcome, everyone. I'm Nivi Jaswal, your host for our brand new show on Jane and Jane News Network, Divinity Connecting the Dots, a show that brings together voices across communities, specifically women of color, both plant-based and vegan, who are experts in various fields like lifestyle medicine, planetary health, climate and food justice, and much more. Today, please welcome uh, Jackie Salomon from Seeds to Inspire Foundation, uh, Dr. Marsha Gale Davis um, uh, from, uh, she's a young director of uh, American College of Lifestyle Medicine and also the co-chair for HEAL and she's going to tell us a lot more about HEAL as we get into our conversation. Dr. Davis, welcome. My first question is for you. When did you go 100% plant-based? Tell us your story. So, that actually happened around 2000 and 11 about 10 years ago um and that was like kind of officially i'm going to actively um you know practice or eat, um, eat in this way um and that was amazing um because this was this was just um kind of my maybe not my declaration but when i said okay i don't i don't want to eat the way i was eating before i really find so much value in eating this way um and and i have to be honest that it wasn't a hundred percent um, plant-based just because I was still, you know, let me try that thing a little bit, or um, I would have a little thing when I would go home, but maybe 99.5%. <laughs> um, and I know I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm 100%. But um, at the time, I just wanted to point out that when I kind of um, said, I'm going to officially, you know, eat this way, I had been trying that for some time. I've been trying vegetarian um, for some time, and this was in college. Um, before I got to that point, I was actually um, doing this kind of back and forth uh, from eating whatever I was eating before to having um, vegetarian food. And um, I would do that for about two months at a time. So I would just eat the way I used to, I usually eat. And then I would eat plant-based for about two months. And I did that maybe for, I don't know, six months to a year. It was a while. Um, and what I realized was that the more that I would go back um, to eating plant-based, the less I would want to eat the way I was eating before. And I'll tell you this kind of um, moment that I said, all right, I can't, I can't even eat chicken anymore. So I remember it very, very um, clearly. I was in the cafeteria um, at the time. I went to Swarthmore College. So we had this big dining area. Um, and I remember picking up two pieces of chicken. And I sat down to enjoy these two pieces of chicken with some other stuff on the plate. But I remembered um, biting into the chicken that day, and I took a couple bites out, a couple chews, and I just thought to myself, I I don't really feel like eating this. Um, and it was actually amazing to me because I didn't expect to have that response, but I just didn't have the taste for it anymore. And that was pretty much the beginning of all right. I think I I don't really like chicken anymore. I'm not gonna eat it anymore. Um, and that kind of led to the next step, which was, you know, in the next couple of months, I was working as a tutor in Boston, which is when I officially said, all right, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm really going to um, go full on plant based, um, which, as I said, I've been doing that for, you know, this back and forth. But the chicken was like kind of that moment where I was like, yeah, I think I'm done. Wow, that's such a powerful story, Dr. Davis. Um, you know, when we go back and forth, it is a great experiment for us to understand what works for us and 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 uh, what doesn't. And and then oftentimes there comes a point when you pick up that one, you know, that uh, that product, and and you uh, experience it, and you know, this is this is not for me anymore. Um, thank you so much for that, Jackie. Tell us about your. Uh, uh, you know, whole foods, plant-based transformation story. I know about it, but the world deserves to know. Tell us more. Oh, thank you so much. Um, my journey was actually really just overnight. It was for health reasons. My family was very sick. I was very sick. My whole family, we were all obese. Um, we had, my twins were 14 at the time. They had prediabetes. They, one of them had um, indications of high cholesterol. Um, they were as cognitive dysfunction. We were all really, just really sick and just existing and trying to manage our, our lives around being sick. And then in 2016, I went through a, 
a sequence of traumas. Um, it started in 20, um, 2009 when my eldest son passed away from a severe allergic reaction to a pharmaceutical. And that's where my healing journey started. It was more of an emotional healing journey. I had to understand why. That's where I started learning about pharmaceuticals and how we manage illness, how we manage disease. But at the same time, all my children were born with brain, very unique brains that just did not learn the same way that the, the typical framework of, of school um, is modeled. And so I was battling the school system at the same time because there was push out, because my children did not learn the way that the schools are designed for them to learn. Um, and one of my sons was diagnosed with autism. So it's, we were just dealing with all of these different issues at the same time. And I was just fatigued. I was tired. I was a full-time student. I was fighting the school systems. I was fighting for my family's lives. And I was on the verge of death on two separate occasions. This brought me to the realization that in 2016, I had to realize that my future was that of my grandmothers who had passed away from when her intestine exploded from chronic constipation. And she went septic and she passed. And that was in line for me. And I did not want to orphan my children. I needed to do something. My, my family was sick, I was sick, and the future was just bleak. And I started researching and researching and researching. And that's when I discovered Forks Over Knives. And that summer, I, when I discovered Forks Over Knives, I looked at my children and I said, no more, no more. And we literally transitioned overnight. My son was playing basketball in a brand new school where children are learned and the way their learning styles are just celebrated and the entire day is just modified around their individual learning and their own self-oriented learning. And he was gonna get to be on a basketball team for the first time ever. And because he never could play basketball because of course in our meritocratic system, you have to have the grades to play. And my son, because he learned in his unique way, was never able to qualify to play and he was gonna play. And my ex-husband at the time was his basketball coach and he was gonna get to play with his dad as being his basketball coach and he broke his leg. He broke his leg and the doctor said, sorry, he was out for the season. And every time I tell this story, my heart just breaks because the look on his face was like, not again, almost like again, like the trauma again. Every time we try to move, every time we try to do something, something knocks us down. And I was just done. I was just done and we transitioned overnight and before the end of the season, my son played. He played when that's when that cast was removed and he was able to move and he was mobile and he had a, a, um, a brace on and went to physical therapy and was able to play the last three games of the season. And I attribute that complete to the whole food plant-based healing. And that power to heal was like mind, body, and spirit. I was able to get through so much trauma and emotional trauma, racialized trauma, inherited trauma, just because I was able to clean the chemistry within my body and I could see clearly and I was able to build the resilience to continue to move forward. That was the power of the whole food plant-based transition for me. Absolutely, this is such a powerful story. Um, you know, uh, Jackie, every single time I hear it and I know people have told me, I'm pretty sure Dr. Davis is feeling exactly the same way. I get goosebumps. Um, this is a story of resilience. You know, both of your stories are stories of um, doing it differently and, and you know, following different routes, different pathways. It's our lived experience. Uh, but, but Jackie, uh, and, and you know, very sorry for the loss of uh, your son, but your story is just so powerful. You're resilient, you're a powerful woman. Um, Dr. Davis, your work at American College of Lifestyle Medicine and as the co-chair of this new exciting initiative is exactly about creating and helping people manifest the stories, uh, the likes of which, uh, you know, Jackie just mentioned uh, to us. Um, tell us a little bit about HEAL. It's H-E-A-L. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna bring up the fabulous new branding that you just shared with me. Um, tell us more about HEAL, Dr. Davis. So um, I'll start for health equity achieved through lifestyle medicine. Um, and it really started out as an interest group in the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And it's now a larger initiative um, that has really full support by the college. Um, but it started out of a conversation related to lifestyle medicine. Um, where, you know, it's like lifestyle medicine is wonderful medicine. Um, it It is not something trendy. It's not something new. It's not something cringe. It's not. Quackery. It's really just 
expanding the armamentarium that we have as physicians. We know that in the clinical, uh, most clinical guidelines for chronic diseases, we see lifestyle medicine as the first treatment and not only the first, but kind of the foundational treatment. The thing is that we don't expand it. We don't operationalize how to deliver that medicine in a way that people can actually receive it or deliver it to a therapeutic level. So it's like lifestyle medicine is wonderful. However, how do we actually allow um, this medicine to reach communities that are most affected by preventable chronic diseases? Um, as we've seen now pretty clearly in the kind of context of COVID um, and understanding the barriers to that. And so I would always ask questions during the conferences about how we apply this you know, to marginalized communities, to um, communities of low soil, socioeconomic status, um, which often parallels with racial um, ethnicity, communities of color, how are we going to apply this? And the answers just didn't seem adequate to me, to the solutions. It often was um, fatalistic, kind of like, it's so bad. Health disparities are so terrible. Oh, oh Lord, how are we going to fix them? And it was, I wasn't hearing a solution-oriented approach, a solution-oriented discussion about it. Um, so I was like, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear about how we're actually focusing on improving this. Where's the conversation on what we're doing? And so at the 2019 conference, um, which was in Florida, um, it was kind of a convergence of like a lot of perfect scenarios or opportune scenarios. Um, but the first thing was that uh, the prior um, interest group called Community Engaged Lifestyle Medicine was transitioning. And so um, Dr. Jasmine Sardana led that group for about three years. They did a lot of awesome work creating two workshops that actually were focused on how do we how do we um, deliver lifestyle medicine in the community, particularly marginalized communities. So she was transitioning, looking for new leadership. Then Dr. Sherney, um, who's the first black president of ACLM, he actually talked about health disparities being a very specific um, focus of his um, you know, time as president and how ACLM needed to move forward with this as a high priority. So you kind of like set that out, like this is this is out there, this is what you know what we're doing. And then at the same time, I met Terry Stone at that conference for the first time. It was the craziest thing. I actually looked down the list of all the speakers and I was like, oh, I gotta meet her. <laughs> and I ended up walking out of lunch and she was literally standing right in front of me. I was like, see, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Pops. So um I basically um connected with her and we just started having conversations. And while we were at the conference, um, I ended up just finding people, I started like looking out for people who um, were talking about their interest in disparities. It got around so fast in the conference that people started walking up to me saying, hey, I'm interested in working on, um, I, I want to work, you know, um, on health equity and life summits and how do we, you know, put these solutions together? How do we work on this? And ended up um, generating a list of like 40 different um, members um, that were interested. And from there, we ended up combining the group, the Community Engaged Lifestyle Medicine group with these list of um, 40 physicians interested in um, health equity. Um, and, and we just heal birth from that. We kind of put those two groups together and um, heal birth from that. Um, and Terry, I have to credit her with actually um, um, thinking about what kind of good acronym can we come up with? Um, and uh, we, we she, she gave the first like, health equity achieved and then we kind of worked on it to, um, together we were able to come up with this awesome acronym um, but that's how it started and it really is rooted in kind of asset based um, approaches to um, health equity uh, I really think it's um, one of the problems that when we talk about health disparities it's very fatalistic and it's like well we're humans we fix problems so let's let's do that <laughs> that's pretty much how we should be approaching it you know we have the solutions when we think about them, we work together, we apply our knowledge, our collective knowledge. Um, and one of the principles, what we really focus on with um, HEAL is community engaged lifestyle medicine, which um, is um, based off of like the really important health equity principles that include community engagement, um, intersectoral, part intersectoral partnerships um, in the community, um, empowerment, um, things like that, cultural responsiveness. So that's what um, HEAL focuses on. That is just stunning. And I hear the Dr. Stone, whenever uh, she's referring to members of HEAL, she calls them healers. Wow. So, you know, you, you hit upon an idea and, and then you found friends and you keep finding friends, uh, you know, who join you, uh, Dr. Davis. Uh, I, I'm part of uh, HEAL and I know Jackie Solomon is part of HEAL. 
with her seeds to inspire foundation um jackie my next question is for you um you know what is your vision at seeds to inspire foundation yeah you know, how is uh how do you believe that seeds can be a vehicle for the objectives of uh the heal initiative you know an initiative such as these uh that dr davis just uh described thank you for that question um Really, my work in, in healing is really an approach of mind-body-spirit healing and understanding that our marginalized communities are fighting battles on a lot of different fronts and that we have to understand that health, core health, is a connection to our resilience. To me, when we see manifesting um, an, an imbalance in health is that we're not able and we're not capable of truly engaging our resilience. And to me, that's a trauma and it's all based on the traumas in our lives. And we have to start engaging people and meeting them where they are and understanding that there's trauma alive and active that's preventing us and prohibiting us from being healthy and healthful. So the way the way seeds operates is we're aiming to address healing multidimensional healing. And through racialized healing, we will need to understand that, that, that racial trauma lives in the body. Ancestral trauma lives in the body. Relational and, and, and physical trauma, it lives in the body. But our resilience also lives in our body. Our inherited ancestral innate wisdom, it too, it lives in our bodies. And especially for marginalized communities that are predominantly people of color, you know, we have to understand that we need to empower that resilience. But how do we empower our resilience if we're sick, if we're fatigued, if we're stressed out, stressed out about getting to the doctor, stressed out about not being able to work because I'm in chronic pain, because I can't afford my medicine, because I can't pay my gas bill or I can't pay the rent, because the kids need to go on a school trip. We have minimal quality of life. Like, How can we be healthful and make choices that are truly steeped in agency and autonomy for our best and for our families. So what CES is hoping to do to address that is to, to bring about these programs where we're collaborating with organizations that are doing this work like ACLM, like the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, like Plant Pure Communities. We're bridging and, and, and inspiring organizations that have these resources and support and blessings and privilege to to bridge that and be a channel and bring those resources and support to our communities that need it the most because they're marginalized, because they don't have access, and basically because they can't afford to buy their health the way I did. I needed to buy my health back. I needed to be able to shop in bulk. I needed to be able to go to Whole Foods or Sprouts and buy my groceries. I needed to be able to attend seminars and take workshops and buy books. I could afford all that. That was a privilege. So understanding that Seed's response to that is to go out into the community and, and, and work with kind of like a Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, where we're bringing about um, a, a program that was a collaboration between the Navajo Nation and Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine to bring around a whole food plant-based nutrition program by and for Native Americans, especially on the reservations. So Seeds to Inspire is now partnering with them and facilitating this program next month to bring this about. We're also working with Plant Peer Communities to bring um, a community prescription RX program to our marginalized communities to bring these resources and support to help them engage that health, mind, body, and spirit to discover and celebrate that resilience within communities. This is this is a lot of work. I mean, you've got your hands full, uh, Jackie. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Dr. Davis, you just heard her roadmap. You know, Seeds to Inspire Foundation is just rearing to go. They're they're just waiting to receive a lot of help and you know resources. So my question to you is uh, basis on basis what Jackie just mentioned. Um, how do you envision heal? Um, you know, partnering or collaborating or helping uh, organizations such as Seeds to Inspire and, and so many such organizations out there? Um, well, I was just kind of, as I was listening to Jackie, I'm like, that's community-engaged lifestyle medicine. It's it's linking with the community. It's empowering the community, engaging in the community, knowing their cultural context, right? You didn't bring a program that you already created and said, bam, it was created with the Navajo Nation. Like, that. that's that's exactly what we're talking about. Because when it comes to health equity, we have to think about 
what is the who is the community that we're serving because equity is not just give you the same thing give you that thing in the context of your situation so it meets your needs so um we are doing work right now um, with three priorities um, that are focused on these principles, really manifesting these principles. Um, the first one <clears throat> is um, really trying to connect with HBCUs. So we're in the process of um, you know, developing a, um, a letter to send to HBCU medical schools um, and also looking into um, creating interest groups on the medical um, school campus for the four HBCUs that are active right now. Um, there's currently one at um, Howard and where we would like to have lifestyle medicine interest groups at um, Charles, uh, Drew, Charles Drew, um, UCLA, um, Harry and um, Morehouse. Um, because that's really kind of the grassroots work that happens. And we know that students are really powerful in um, bringing about change as well. But I think that's one of the ways that we're going to start to get this conversation going on. And also connecting with um, other organizations that are connected to HBCUs like NME, which is one of the largest, it is the largest professional society for um, physicians of color, particularly Black physicians that kind of are the majority of it. But it's really to serve um, so many um, issues that relate to diversity and health equity. You know, increasing the diversity of um, health professionals as well. So that's one of the priorities. How do we focus on um, this, you know, awesome institution that has um, put out so much excellence academically and um, really um, empower the community by um, educating people to such, um, you know, excellent levels. Um, and then also looking at community um, engagement and having conversations with the community. A lot of times when we think about medicine, it's it's a lot of siloing when we look at how we've approached a lot of solutions to healthcare issues, um, health disparities. These conversations are happening in the separate um, sectors. So it's just medicine, or it's just um, you know um, the food um, climate, um, food banks, um, you know supermarkets, um, food justice uh, activists. You know we don't have a lot of collaboration across these sectors. And again, that's one of the principles of community engaged lifestyle medicine, it's to really link across these, make create bridges across these different sectors because that's how we come up with the best solutions. You don't see something um, a certain way until someone else brings in a new perspective and whoa, then something clicks and oh, I didn't, that is like, that's the answer. It happens like that all the time. So we're just thinking about actual like in objective ways, um, we know that the ways that solutions are effective, and we're just taking the, those principles and applying them. Um, so sorry, I'm back to community conversation. So it's really a way to engage with communities and conversations. And we want to have kind of a town hall model where we talk about what what what's your lived experience? Let's get an understanding of that first. Once that happens, then we can kind of bring about content experts to take this is your lived experience, okay? This is what we know about the solutions that are available. Let's come together and talk about how this fits so we can you know, address the nuances so we can say, oh, um, what does it really look like when someone doesn't um, have a supermarket in the area? How are they still able to try to shift to a healthier way of eating? Is it really that they have no um, opportunity to do that? Is there no solution to that? It's just a hopeless case or is there some way that we can still, um, you know, shift things for them. And I think that there is um, always a way. And uh, once we work towards that, we can actually come up with solutions. It doesn't mean that we're focusing on personal responsibility. Like you just can fix everything. No, we have the structural issues that need to be changed for sure. Um, but there's also agency that people have. And that goes back to what Jackie was saying about kind of health um, is resilience. And we want to engage that as well. We think lifestyle medicine allows people to kind of engage in that resilience and that agency. The third priority is creating materials that people can use. Um, one handout that we're working on right now is to look at comparing different dietary patterns from a cost standpoint, because people always talk about it's, you know, whole paycheck, right? <laughs> you go to Whole Foods, your whole paycheck is gone. Um, you don't have to shop at Whole Foods. That's, that's one example, but there are places you can shop everywhere that actually 
um, you can purchase food for um, economical prices. Um, and some of the healthiest foods are the cheapest foods, to be honest with you. And I think that narrative is um, incorrect in terms of where, when we talk about cost with healthy food, I don't think we're looking at it from an objective angle. There's kind of a narrative that says, oh, it's so expensive. And it's like, let's look at the numbers. And we want to produce a um, document that can help with that. Um, thank you for that, uh, Dr. Davis. You've actually touched upon so many different ways in which uh, organizations that want to do grassroots work can actually engage with you. There's community conversations. Uh, there are the town halls uh, where you want to evoke and elicit lived experiences, the kinds that Jackie just mentioned. Um, and, and you also want to work on uh, you know, how to be plant-based on a budget, right? So all of these put together and, and uh, when people and with their agency, with their resiliency, when they come together, we we will be able to deal with structural, systemic, um, you know, situations which make uh, for problems of access and affordability. Unfortunately, at this point in time, specifically with communica uh, communities of color. Now, talking about resiliency, talking about different types of ways and strategies uh, that we can bring it. Uh, influence and creativity is uh, one other way, right? And and we know that um, Amanda Gorman, we are all very proud of her. She uh, is uh, our national youth, uh, you know, poet uh, laureate. And I am just so disappointed that she hasn't connected the dots yet. You know, she, she I don't think, uh, you know, she's uh, plant-based, uh, unless one of you or maybe the viewers can tell us about her dietary regimen at this point in time. But either way, uh, uh, Jackie, I'm going to call upon you and Dr. Davis, you're welcome as well to, uh, you know, help um, Amanda Gorman connect the dots and uh, see the connections that uh, we're trying to build here and, and connect the dots. Oh, thank you for that question, Vivian. Thank you for bringing the awareness. Um, it's so important that we do have these conversations. And again, like Dr. Um, um, Davis was talking about, is building building this community, building uh, this this connection. So, I guess our message for Amanda Gorman would be, um, dear Amanda Gordon, your words, your vision resonates so much with who we are and our collective vision of a healed world. Seeds to Inspire Foundation would love to invite you into a conversation and share the power of whole food plant-based to not only amplify your voice, but also because we have so much to learn from one another. There's so much work to do and there's so much to learn. Maybe you can help. Let's have a conversation. Let's bring us together. Let's have this conversation. Let's help one another stop the suffering, stop the death, and co-create that world that where your words resonate, where your words reign. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. That was beautiful. And I almost felt for a moment that you're gonna break into poetry of your own, Jackie. You know, um, I, I just so wish that, you know, your words uh, reach Amanda Gorman. <laughs> Excuse me, and uh, you know, and and that she's able to connect the dots. Um, Dr. Davis, uh, after making this appeal to Amanda Gorman, I'm going to pose a question to you. A very interesting question. Um, I, I hope you're ready for it. And I wish I can, you know, next time have some drum roll when I'm asking these questions to our guests. Um, so you wake up one day, and you receive this appointment letter. You've been appointed um, the Surgeon General of the United States. So, Dr. Marsha Gale Davis, what will be your message to your country uh, when, I, I don't think it's a matter of if, but when you're appointed uh, to be the Surgeon General of the United States? Take it away. So, um I think we've had a lot of, um, in, and I love that picture, by the way. <laughs> it looks so cool. Um, so I think we've really kind of um, been hit with a reality during COVID. COVID, COVID is a crisis, um, and crisis crises can be frightening and and difficult, and they can um, really kind of shake you up. But I think it's also an opportunity, it can provide an opportunity for significant change that has been needed. 
Um, you can see this kind of reactions when people go through crisis in their own lives. Um, it can be a situation that can either go in one direction or the other. And I think what it's shown us right now um, is that we have to make a shift. Um, that's where we are right now. I, I believe that we're at a crucial point where we have the opportunity to really pivot in a direction that will put the health of the people of this nation first um, by building a healthcare system that's actually founded on prevention versus what we do now, which is um, like damage control. That's kind of how our healthcare system practices. It's damage control, um, symptom management. It doesn't really get at the root of, of um, the diseases that are really the challenges, our current healthcare challenges. Um, and when we can treat the root causes, then we can allow for people to really live equitable lives. Um, and it, there is a connection between, in my opinion, between how health equity deals with the root causes of health disparities and lifestyle medicine deals with the root causes of chronic disease. Um, so my message would be that it is time for us to um, really think about how the future of medicine um, is moving. And it's time for us to actually practice medicine as, as it makes sense. We know that health is not existing in a vacuum. It's not just individual choices, but it's those individual, individual choices being influenced by social determinants of health. That's how health happens um, because we're human. So we have that social component that does not allow us to just be individually kind of operating. We will always have influence from society. Um, yes, some people can offstay that, but the bell curve tells us that for the average person, the influences around us are really important. Um, and so when we think about that, it says that we have to approach healthcare in a way where we touch base on how we can impact individual behaviors and we touch base on how we can impact the social context as well. We cannot have people rely on their individual behaviors when we're human. It just doesn't make sense. It's like not actually factual um, way of approaching that situation. Um, and I think, you know, when we think about connecting the dots there, there is objectivity to um, having a plant predominant um, way of eating. And there's a lot of data to support why that's important. Um, the thing about it is that with the most recent dietary guidelines, uh, the, the ones that just came out, um, you know, we, we saw that the scientific council or the data that they generated, why this is important included the the um, kind of planetary message and that um, for this, the sake of our planet, that's a key point as well. So not only does it help our um, improve our health significantly, not only does it allow us to um, improve our healthcare system significantly um, when we're able to um, focus on healthier eating, which is plant rich, you have to eat plants to be healthy. Um, and also um, our, just our environment, it's all those three things. So it's evidence-based that moving in this direction um, where we are eating most of plants is really um, important. Oh, very well said. You know, I, I, I seriously wish that you do, you know, have that appointment because that will be a dream come true for a lot of us, uh, you know, who are plant based uh, nutritionally and also vegan philosophically. Um, because, uh, you know, I, I was watching this brand new documentary that just came out, uh, narrated by uh, Sir Richard Attenborough. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I highly recommend it. it's called Breaking Boundaries. And it speaks about uh, and it shows how human beings, uh, how our species has, you know, breached so many of the planetary boundaries and some of them to a point of no return, it, it might have been. I mean, there's no way for us to uh, measure some of these things. Uh, but Dr. Davis, since you mentioned data, you know, uh, uh, very recently, uh, there was a study that just came out that, and it's a multi-country uh, study, U.S. And, and parts of Europe, um, and it speaks about how potentially a whole food plant-based diet um, could alleviate extremity of symptoms experienced by COVID-19 patients. I'm going to quickly bring that up for us to see on um, our screens. So you can see over there, they, they spoke about plant-based diets and some others. Um, but as I read the data, I felt that the plant-based diets uh, were clearly, you know, above par even uh, versus the pescatarian diet, et cetera, that we saw. Uh, Dr. Davis, your comment. This, this is a milestone study that just came out. Um, so, you know, 
I think um, everyone's been kind of looking for this type of study to really um, look at the impact of, again, lifestyle on our health. And the thing is that COVID already told us a lot, um, told us a great deal about the impact of our lifestyle. It really um, forced us to see how much prevention is something that we have not invested in. And now we're dealing with the repercussions of that. It also showed us how much we have not invested in our public health infrastructure, um, which is why our approach, our response to the pandemic was um, so um, costly. It was really, um, we were incredibly unprepared and we unfortunately um, have to live with the lives of those people that we've lost, um, 600,000 um, in this past year and a half as a result of our um, negligence in not investing in the things that are really lead to um, improved health outcomes in the population. When we're thinking about what makes sense, you know, the principles of public health, which is why this kind of connection between clinical medicine and public health needs to be stronger. It's a marriage. It's not just clinical medicine and then a little bit of public health. It's clinical medicine inside public health surrounding it. It is a double kind of approach. Um, and so we um, saw that for most of the individuals who were dying, um, actually, Unfortunately, the outcome of death, severe COVID, um, which is death, were individuals who have chronic diseases. And we know that with chronic diseases, the main cause, it's lifestyle. We've known that since the 1990s. McGinnis and Ferry had their um, 2000, actually it was 1990, then updated in um, 2000, uh, 1990, and updated later on on the cause of which initially tobacco use was kind of the main one. And then now we've shifted to diet being kind of the main um, driver. So it tells us that, yes, again, <laughs> something that we've been supported with data. So there's no more talk about convincing, like the data already talks about that. No, it's how do we implement it? Um, that study was great because it gives us kind of a sense of more research that needs to be done. It was a case control study. So it's not something that we can infer causation. You can never really do that with a case control study because you don't have um, different types of kind of objective um, information. Here you're looking at, um, outcomes and then you're tracking it back to what could have led to that. And so we're looking at ratios. We're looking at what ratios, not causation. However, it can in, it can give us some ideas about, well, there is something there that we need to really um, anchor down on and let's see, is this really the case? And we know that from all the other data that we have, it can, it's in line with what we know about healthy lifestyle. So we can infer that it's, it's likely detecting something that really is there. Um, and we know that um, your, your immune system is influenced by how you're living and lifestyle medicine in general. What you're putting in your body, how your nutrition is impacting the health of your cells. Exercise, we know, has a significant impact on the immune system. Stress management, that is um, done in a, um, a way that you can manage it healthfully and it doesn't cause a stress to kind of imprint on your body. Allows for your immune system to function well. So we have all of the kind of plausibility, the biological plausibilities to support why these outcomes actually make sense. And now um, it will be our job to do further research to better confirm that. But I believe that it is detecting something um, that we have a lot of support for that we can say, yeah, this is, this is likely the case. Interesting, you know, so your observation is that um, this might have actually created um, the need for conducting more and more clinical and, and other, you know, investigations in, in this area. Uh, I remember seeing, uh, you know, this data, there was some other uh, data that PCRM as well uh, published. And, and this specific, uh, this uh, specific study um, is with healthcare workers and you know who tested positive or who clinically had some symptoms. It, it's uh, very interesting and and you know in the vegan world or in the whole foods plant based world, we can't wait for more such research to be done, especially with the public. You know, not just with one specific um, segment to be able to demonstrate the efficacy of uh, of plant based diets. You know, in uh, reduction, reversal in some cases, if possible, of chronic illness. So, so that's a really, really interesting, um, you know, thing. Another interesting topic that you mentioned, uh, Dr. Davis, and we've been talking about is nobody needs convincing. I think you know there are plenty of people need convincing still because they're still you know eating a lot of meat and dairy. But if they look at evidence-based nutrition, they don't necessarily need that convincing. All that we need right now is solutions, right? And by way of solutions, um, 
there could there be a role for a diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, you know, just the way we have a special envoy for climate? Could we also have a special secretary for diversity, equity, and inclusion in the United States? And you know, you know who my candidate uh, is is going to be. My vote's going to go to Jackie Salomon. So, Jackie, my question to you is, uh, my dear friend, the day you're uh, appointed, and uh, you know, you're now the special secretary of diversity, equity, and inclusion for the country. What is your message? What do you think you're going to do? Mm, what a beautiful question. Immediately I go to how do we how do we nourish and how do we protect the ecosystems where children live, where children will actualize, where children will manifest their the, the potential that they were born with, the wisdom that they were born. We need so much to protect the children. So that's exactly what I think about. So the first thing I think about is the schools. Schools have to be potential driven. Uh, learning should be about exploration, critical thinking, about whole systems, health and healing. Um, schools should be focused on um, truth, the psycho-spiritual health of children, living in truth. So not, not creating administrators to maintain systems of oppression and exploitation, but that individual creative like researcher and solution builder that, that we know that we're born to be. Um, Talking about schools, let's focus on school curriculum, mandatory racial um, literacy in all schools. Let's talk about um, diversity, equity, equity and inclusion for every organization. Every single organization in this country should actually be have to walk their talk. And if you consider yourself global, if you consider yourself grassroots, let's let's solidify that. Let's concretize that. Let's make every single organization in this country have a uh, diversity. Let's make it a, a Jedi, a justice, equity, diversion, and inclusion policy. Um, and we like Black vegans who are already dealing with systemic racism not to have to deal with discrimination too, to their dietary preferences, right? They shouldn't have to deal with that too. We shouldn't have to deal with that too. So maybe providing um, veganism protection and recognition on the U.S. anti-discrimination law is important. And it's not new because the UK is already doing it. So we should be able to do that too. I am floored. This is awesome. I, I think we need to, you know, as Divinity Coalition and, you know, Jackie, you're part of the Divinity Coalition. Uh, Dr. Davis, you're aware of it too. We've been petitioning uh, Vice President Harris to, you know, go whole foods plant-based vegan for at least 30 days. I think it's time for another petition. It's time to uh, for us to ask for a special position to be created that protects uh, diversity and and encourages equity and inclusion. Uh, these are beautiful thoughts, you know. And and as you mentioned, Jack, um, that uh, the UK. Uh, they've already recognized veganism as a philosophy in their equality law. Uh, the United States doesn't yet do that. Uh, and if that were to happen, that would also open the doors for our corporate cafeterias and for you know public school uh, cafeterias to um, alter their menus and, and to start offering more and more plant-based uh, solutions. Uh, so... All power to you, ladies, both of you, uh, you know, as the Surgeon General of the United States and as the Special Secretary of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion. Uh, I can't wait for, uh, you know, that day to manifest itself. So my next question um, is, uh, you know, we're running out of uh, time. Uh, we have about 10 minutes. My, my next question is uh, for Dr. Davis. Um, Dr. Davis, you know, who can join HEAL um, now, is it open? Is it only clinicians like yourselves or people who have specific degrees in MPH? Um, uh, you know, are you opening doors for other people too who might not be licensed healthcare providers? If you could share a little bit with us um, and for our viewers who might be interested in becoming a member and if it's possible for them to do so. Um, so with the way that the college works, it is a kind of member um, focused organization and that's the case for kind of traditional medical professional societies it's you have to be a healthcare um or a healthcare professional which that spectrum has broadened over the years it's not just you know physician nurse 
um, um, now it's physician, nurse, nutritionist, and PA, and physical therapist, and health coach, um, and and uh, so many you know different points of where people access into the the medical system. But we want to partner with community organizations, so that opportunity to link in with us with some of the projects that we're working on is a way that people can get get involved um, if they're not a member of ACLM. If you are a health professional, you can actually become a member of ACLM and then you can join the, um, the HEAL initiative in that way. So th those are kind of the avenues. And just to give some a couple examples of um, kind of by uh, linking back to what Jackie was talking about with um, the roles that schools can play um, in creating environments that promote health. We're talking about creating a culture of health. That's really the approach that we have to move forward in. Um, personal responsibility conversation constantly comes up as the approach that um, is the narrative. You know, that's kind of the narrative to the, to, the, to the solution discussion that we have around improving health. And it's not factual. That's not how our society exists. We have to stop doing that because it's actually damaging. Um, it makes it seem as if people are lacking willpower, they're lacking discipline, um, something is wrong with them, why they can't get, get to a healthier um, state. And it's like, yeah, I'm living in an environment that does nothing to support my health. I'm living in an environment that actually promotes disease. And we know that the environment of the US kind of on a grand scale is obesogenic, diabetogenic, and just in general um, disease promoting. And that's factual. We have all the data to support that. And especially when we're dealing with marginalized communities, oftentimes they're dealing with things like food apartheid. They're dealing with, um, you know, targeting, actual focus targeting on communities of color with um, tobacco use alcohol, etc. So there are definitely very strong structural influences that influence people's behavior. And so that conversation of come on, you got to eat better, and you just got to do better, you have to have that conversation in the context of that um, social kind of environment, it should never be just focused on the individual's behavior as the solution. So that's a way that people can get involved. Um, and of course, with ACLM, um, you know, the focus are on the six, um, six pillars that include, you know, this um, uh, a focus on eating, you know, as many plants as possible. Um, we know that there's kind of a spectrum to where people approach this conversation, but we know the fact is that we all got to be eating more plants. Whether you do that only plants or you have most of plants, that is where your health is going to come from. That's what the dietary can say. We can't <laughs> question that anymore. Um, then going to the other principles of, you know, getting regular physical activity, having good stress management, um, uh, techniques that you can put into place um, immediately and you can see the effects. Um, getting good sleep, so important for restoring your body. Um, social connection, which is important for our health. Why? Because we're human. And then um, lastly, um, just uh, avoiding things that actually damage our bodies. That is stunning. So people out there, all our viewers, um, you know, if you have an interest in lifestyle medicine, um, it, it's a membership-based uh, organization. It's part of American College of Lifestyle Medicine. You heard Dr. Davis. And, uh, you know, feel free to check out their website. It has amazing resources uh, at American College of Life, Lifestyle Medicine. And, and I uh, hear that HEAL, Health Equity, achieved uh, through lifestyle medicine will also make its appearance on social media very soon. So we can't wait to see that happen. All thanks to amazing work uh, by Dr. Davis and her team at HEAL and at ACLM. Um, Jackie, you have been appointed in January of this year as uh, one of the pod advisory committee members for Plant Pure Communities. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how can one join this uh, community of PPC. Uh, I hear uh, it's, uh, you don't have to be a lifestyle medicine professional um, and, and other people can join too, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering what might be the mechanism. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the organization that you're helping at this point. Oh, Plant Your Communities is an amazing organization. It's a compassionate organization that really wants to bring the, this knowledge and these resources of whole food plant-based nutrition and the power of that 
to communities. And so what they started doing was just talking about education and spreading that awareness. And then they launched into these pods where we want to inspire individuals in your own community that have experienced this transition, that have experienced this benefit in your life to go out into your community and start sharing. So different pods are created all, all over the, the world and we're, we're hoping to expand that. Um, my sister Nibby and I are, are, are part of this organization that wants to help expand that reach, bring this knowledge and wisdom to the global majority. And the global majority do not have access to this information. And so what we want to help do is like, if you've experienced this um, a healing within you and you are um, inspired to go out into your community and spread this, join Plant Peer Communities, help us diversify, help us learn. We can learn, we need to learn from one another. It's a brand new organization, it's still in its infancy and it's eager to learn and expand and to help. So we wanna inspire especially people of color to come in and join it's, it's this country, the, the largest and the most increasing demographic is our black women that are learning and 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 taking back that power of our health taking back that agency for our families to restore health from within and that ripples out to the community so if you feel inspired to share and spread come and join us learn from us let us learn from you and let's help spread this this knowledge and wisdom and access to everyone wise words beautiful as always and uh you know our viewers take note young African-American and black women in the United States are the most rapidly fastest, you know, there's just so many synonyms that I feel like using, you know, fastest growing demographic of plant-based, um, you know, individuals in this country. That is just awesome. And uh, plant pure communities and uh, heal, uh, you know, their doors are open. If uh, you feel that you have the passion, you're plant-based and you wanna come join the community, do it today. Um, uh, I'm, I'm just going to show the PPC uh, logo, Plant Pure Communities. Uh, you can find them online. Uh, health equity achieved through lifestyle medicine. Um, and, and this is part of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. I have time for two questions. Um, I'm going to field it to Dr. Davis first. Uh, so Dr. Davis, we know that our healthcare workers um, our frontline workers have been deeply impacted by the pandemic. You know, we um, feel that there is this celebratory air in, in the country at this point. We feel we've beaten it back. Uh, but uh, we also have news about the Delta variant and how, you know, kids might be uh, uh, vulnerable and, and so on. Uh, nobody can tell the future, but our healthcare workers have really worked hard and they have also suffered a lot and it's been really intense for them. What is your message for all our healthcare workers out there, not just here in the US, but around the world, fighting pandemics and all the shadow pandemics? I think the message is um, that like never before, the world um, appreciates the work that healthcare professionals do, healthcare workers um, do, like never before. We have been the backbone of this pandemic. We've literally been holding up society. Um, and I want to just express that if you're able to um, just share appreciation for the, for the work that healthcare um, workers have been engaging in throughout this year and a half, please do. It's almost like the military. You know, we whenever I see a military person, I, I say thank you for your service. I really do because that's a sacrifice that has been made. And it's been a significant sacrifice for many health, healthcare workers during this time. Um, the fact that you're increased, you're having increased exposure, working with the individuals who have COVID, um, the additional stress of that experience, where not just physical stress of the working, that was one of the common um, experiences of healthcare workers, just the, the working um, in this environment was so stressful, the hours that you have to put in um, because of shortage of, um, you know, um, limitations with how many patients were suffering and how many providers had to be there to provide the um you know the care and then also the stress of it from a mental standpoint you know having to see people dying um in that way that's trauma for anybody and i went through residency where um, patients were critically ill in the icu um, and if they their heart stopped beating you would have to immediately um initiate cpr and run what we call a code 
and some patients would make it and others would not. And that's traumatic. So just thinking about the levels of trauma that we've all experienced through this time, but in particular healthcare workers who've really seen the brunt of this whole, this um, pandemic. So my message for um, healthcare workers is thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for that message, uh, Dr. Davis, and indeed, thank you for your service. Um, you know, you've been on the front lines as well. And um, I want to conclude on a high note, um, and I know both of you, very resilient women, um, have so much going on, so many irons in the fire. If you could only let our viewers know what has been one, like, top positive highlight for you, during 2020, 2021, um, either of you, who, whoever wants to go first. <laughs> I, I, um, I'll go first, Jackie. I know it's like I'm still thinking. Um, a positive highlight is, you know, they say that um, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. We're we're going through the weeping, and we. Kind of, as I said, we're in this, we're in crisis, but in these moments of difficulty, sprouts the opportunity for change, and that's where I think we are. We are at a moment where, number one, people see the impact of their health, and they're like, "Why isn't our healthcare system doing more to actually care for our health?" The healthcare system should practice what it says in the the word itself. It should be caring for health. It should be preserving health. We shouldn't wait until something happens to then intervene. We should be practicing primary prevention as a healthcare strategy. Prevention shouldn't be just lip service, you know, health promotion, eat your veggies. No, we should have strategy around operationalizing that so that people can actually have the opportunity to live um, lives in live healthy lives from an equitable standpoint, because that's what all healthy people 2020 talks about. It's how do we create this type of um, healthier environment and healthier nation. And is that not valuable? Are the lives of people who live in this country not valuable enough to put efforts and resources and, and, um, and, um, and money and time into helping them maintain their health? I think that's important. I think your life is valuable enough that I should consider your health a priority. And I think that's where we need to be moving right now. So I think the positive thing is that it shows us how much opportunity we have to um, do what is necessary and do what's really um, um, morally right um, for the for the people who live in this country. Brilliant, you know, doing what what's morally right, what's ethically right, and and what values life of everyone. Right yeah, do the right thing. It's it, that's that's such a beautiful message and, and such a highlight. You know, the the last year has actually highlighted that. Um, great opportunity for us. Jackie, over to you. Um, again, thank you for that beautiful question. And thank you, Dr. Davis, because it really made me think about what 2020 meant for me was, I don't know if I hadn't transitioned to being a whole food plant-based um, individual, whether I would have survived the pandemic. I'm pretty convinced with my, comorbid my, with my comorbidities my family, I would have lost a lot of us. I've had conversations with my ex-husband and he's convinced too with his comorbidities that we may have orphaned our children. And that terrifies me. And I think through 2020, understanding that I was blessed during this pandemic, I was blessed with a very healthy immune system. I was blessed with vitality, with a regenerative life. That what do I do with it? Now what I do with this blessing and this knowledge and this health that I have, was it enough to just go out there and help? Or was I now tasked to go out there and change? Go out there and take my healing and be active and grow. And that made me look through 2020 really deeply inside of me and saying, what was preventing me? What was prohibiting me from me being my best? Now that I have regained my health, what was I doing? And I'm not really good at centering myself and speaking, but when the opportunity came to say, you know what, this is bigger than you, Jack. I lost 164 pounds. I reversed my type two diabetes. I reversed my hypertension. I reversed my gastric reflux, my restless sex syndrome, my anxiety. I'm on no no medicine. I have experienced no pain. I am 49 years old and I have regained a life that for 20 years, I didn't even know I could live. 
this is what 2020 gave to me was that realization that now I have a moral obligation to go out there and make sure that everybody has access to this knowledge and this information and this support because Dr. Davis, you're so right. This is not something that we could just do ourselves. We need to support one another. We need to create environments where people can thrive, where people can make choices that are going to be them and the whole. And that was the birth of me and my activism. It took me from where it was just about me to going in there. What about you? Because if you're not okay, I'm not okay. And we need to be okay. And that was what came for me from 2020. Yeah. Profound realizations, both of you ladies. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you so much, Dr. Davis, for being our guests. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and for and, and thank you most of all for connecting the dots for our viewers. Um, thank you so much for watching. You're watching Divinity Connecting the Dots on Jane Unchanged News Network. Until next time. <laughs>